Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Menopause is coming and the men have all left town But I'm not giving up until I see that baby crown 39 and single, can someone help me out? He could be balding, bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball Gay, straight, black, white, tiny eyes with an underbite I just need sperm, sperm cast Hey everybody, you ready to find out if I'm pregnant or not? Well I'm not going to keep you in suspense for too long. First, let me just say I did great during my two-week wait. I was happy, healthy, not thinking about whether or not I was pregnant. People weren't asking me all the time. And I wasn't having symptoms, like I said last week. So there weren't constant reminders that I may or may not have a bun in the oven. Of all of my eight two-week waits, this one was the least awful. As you might remember from last week, I told myself I wasn't going to test, that I was going to wait until I started spotting or got my period. But I forgot that as long as I was still on progesterone, I wouldn't get my period. So I emailed Nurse Julie on Thursday and she said I had to come in and get a blood test at the office on Friday, 13 days past IUI, one day early, but this blood test would give me the results. But I didn't want to know the results. Anyway, I went into Dr. Kaylin's office on Friday morning and I ran into my friend Hannah again. You remember Hannah. I interviewed her in the car outside Dr. Kaylin's office a few episodes ago. She was there for a follow-up and we met after our appointments for a quick catch-up in the car. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Molly. Fancy meeting you here. (laughs) Just ran into Hannah at the doctor's. I was there for my blood test. She was there for a follow-up. So, uh, so I didn't want to come here today. (laughs) And they were, they, she was about to do the blood test, but then she's like, do you have any, do you have to go to the bathroom? And I was like, no. She's like, okay, well, you're going to have to do a pee test. And I was like, no, I had to do a pee test. Long story short, nothing. I did the pee test. And oh, so it's like you already got the result. <laughs> I was expecting to wait for that awful phone call at 5 p.m. Yeah. So that took the... I mean, it's still day 13, yeah. not 14, but uh-huh. it's like we would have wanted to see something. Yeah. Um, so there's still a chance, but it's not likely. So that's where I'm at. Ugh, oh. I'm sorry. Oh. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hey, I got medication that I'm going to give you for IVF. Oh, that's right. (laughs) Ease the pain a little bit. Since Hannah just went through IVF, she's got leftover medications, which can cost up to $6 million. I mean, $1,000. And she says she's going to give me some. I'm going to buy them from you, Hannah, though. I mean, for a discounted price, of course, but I'm going to pay you. So what drugs did you take for the retrieval? Um, Menopure, Folistem. I took some human growth hormone this time. That was the difference. I didn't take that the first time. HGH. Uh-huh. And what does that do? He said it's it's more likely to get more normal embryos since we only got one the first time and we got five this time, so. How do they know that? What does that mean? I mean, <laughs> I hate simplified doctor answers, you know what I mean? I know. Um, yeah. Okay, yeah. so, so you have some Menopure left. Mm-hmm. And I have a little bit of Folistem left. That I did dose correctly, but we just... Yeah. I had extra. Extra. Yeah. So I wonder how... I, I guess I would just, like, find out how much of everything that you have exactly and then get the remainder from... Yeah. A drug... A drug company. <laughs> um, okay. So, like, now that my septum is removed... Yes, what's your plan now? So, so okay, wants, okay, so, sorry. Okay. Tell the listeners you got your septum removed. I got my septum removed a few days ago. If um, you've forgotten, Hannah did IVF. Um, the first half. The first half of IVF. Then she had a septum in her uterus, and it was just removed. Yeah, so it was bigger than they expected. Oh. So he wants me to get another HSG to make sure that it's gone as much as possible okay but he just showed me pictures it was crazy it looked like a nose 
It looked like you were like looking up at a nose. Oh my god! Yeah, so that's so they nuts. went in there with a camera. They went in there with a camera, and then there's like a little attachment to the camera that has scissors. Oh my god! The thing is, honestly, I have zero pain from the procedure. Wow! Because all that tissue, like none of it has blood nerve flow, endings. it has no nerves, so I feel fine. Wow! Yeah, the hardest thing, like I had um, a sore throat and sore chest from the being intubated. Yes. But other than that. Okay. I'm fine. Like, I went back to work two days later. That's amazing. Yeah. So then HSG, so you didn't make a plan for your... No, so he said, we're gonna, I'm gonna call him on the first day of my period, which is, like, next week. Okay. And we're gonna get, schedule another HSG, and then also, like, start the process towards implantation. Okay. So I gotta call J-Run, too. What does that process look like? Do you know? I don't really know. It's like... I know that I know kind of from other people that it's progesterone. I don't. I know some people do the injections. Some people do um, the suppositories. The suppositories. Oh, okay. Some people do a mix. So we haven't discussed any of that yet. I did learn that Steve is good at the butt injections. Hell yeah! <laughs> oh my god, he did a great job on the trigger shot. It's so a, he's ready. Felt a little too good. <laughs> He was like, I gave it to you in the butt, and he didn't even feel it. Wait. <laughs> so we're prepared for that. Yeah, so we'll be implanting next month. Oh, my gosh. This that's month. exciting. Yeah, so that's it's exciting. definitely exciting. Well, if I start IVF, then I'll be right behind you. Yeah. Yeah, so my, I guess my wonder, what, uh, what I'm trying to figure out is mm-hmm. what, if to start or not, because there's that Baby Quest grant. Right. And if I'm in the middle of IVF when they're making their decisions, then I miss, like, they, they, yeah. they're they not going to give it, me the grant at that moment. Right, right. Because they need to know if I'm pregnant or not, basically. Ugh. So do, what do people do? Wait and not do anything while they're waiting for their answers? It's so hard. doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. I think I just should just do it. Just do the IVF or just do the waiting? Just do the IVF. I think so, too. I'm getting old. I'm fucking 41. You're amazing. I just <laughs> turned 41. It's so, so crazy. It's crazy. But, like, I can't believe a year has passed. But, yeah, I think you should just do it. Yeah. And, like, if it doesn't work by then, then you'll have the grant. But then I won't be eligible because I might be in, out of the The window might have been weird. You know what I mean? Because you might still, like, not be sure where you're at. But yours is going to go fast. Because you're going to have a good egg retrieval. You're not going to have to do it multiple times like I did because you have great follicles to begin with. So you'll be able to... (laughs) I always hear that. One, two, three, four, five, six when it counts them. (laughs) So I think you'll have a really good count. Mm -hmm. And then you can implant right away. You don't have to wait like we did. But he wants me to do PGS testing, though. Oh, yeah. So you have to wait a little. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, like, where how long is that? Two weeks. So then, so it's like a two-month process for exactly, you. Yeah. and so they make their decisions at the end of October. I see. So it's really just right in the wrong timing. Time. Really couldn't be worse. Yeah. 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 I think you just go for your baby. Yeah, I can't wait. Mm-mm. Do you want to continue this over coffee? Um, no, you don't have work. time. I'm so yeah. sorry. No worries. I fucking selfish bitch looking for content. Good. <laughs> Goodbye. Okay, so as you heard, I got that negative P test, but there's still a tiny sliver of hope that the blood test will pick up some HCG that the urine test wasn't sensitive enough to catch. And I'll find out at the end of the day. And you'll find out at the end of the episode. So from there, I headed straight to the Erio's office for my interview with today's guest. Jessica. Hi. What's your last name? Kavanaugh? Kavanaugh, yeah. That's a familiar name. They're like, oh, get Kavanaugh. That was such a bad week for me, guys. Oh, I'm sure. Spells it different, though. Yes, thank God. You spell it with a C. I spell it with a C and no U. Oh, thank God. It's a totally different name, though. Totally different. When Jessica's son was very little, he was diagnosed with autism. Now, almost 20 years later, Jessica's written a play about her experience with autism and motherhood and the resiliency of human nature. Jessica, you've written a play that did very well in Texas, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in Dallas. And now you're, you have moved it over here to mm-hmm. L.A. Can you tell us, well, what the play is about? Yes. So um, I have a son who's about to turn 20. He's on the spectrum. And when he was 12, he um, started, well, no, when he was like seven, 
Nope, when he was like six. Um, he started um, being very self-injurious. He oh. uh, would hurt himself a lot. Um, and it just grew and grew to the point where, like, he pulled his own tooth out in the middle of the night. Oh, no. Yeah, it's, oh, it's, no, it's no fun. And so we just realized, like, okay, so we're not keeping him safe uh, as much as a parent would want to. So we ended up having to admit him, my ex-husband and I, we were divorced at this time, to a group home and like a school where he could finally get like back in this at this time um insurance didn't pay for aba therapy for autism what which is like the recommend um, applied behavioral analysis okay. therapy which is just like the recommended course of action now um but when elijah was young it still wasn't included in a lot of insurance and so it was like a hundred dollars an hour and they're supposed to get like eight hours a day <laughs> and we were like this little musician and actor and we're like yeah cool um so he just wasn't getting the treatment that he needed so anyway he we admitted him he's great now this is the great news it's he's like thriving he went from having like like meltdowns like for two hours four times a day like so a whole day to like one meltdown a month is where we're at now so it was the best thing ever but at the time when it happened I lost my mind I was just like okay so failed at everything failed at mom failed at all of it um and really struggled with, with depression and it was kind of either write this play or I don't know like it it just kind of came pouring out um, as just therapy. So I just like I sat down and I didn't know what it was going to be and I was just like I need to write, I need to write and so I just wrote about, (laughs) this sounds so terrible I wrote about like the worst day I could remember with him. It's like I wanted to exercise it out of me and that's the first scene of the play. So it kind of lays the groundwork for like who, who these people are and what they're dealing with. And it's intense. Like the first scene of the play is hard. It's hard. It's a lot of violence from a child and all this kind of stuff. Um, but then it skips ahead. And the play is basically about um, Summer, the central character, who's based-ish on me, but not me, dealing with learning to forgive herself and move on from this and deal with the emotional aftermath of what a parent goes through when they feel like they failed their child. Oof. Um, so that it's about so guilt. Hard. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But mostly it's a comedy. Oh. <laughs> That's a shocking so, turn of I events. <laughs> but I love it. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just, I can't, I, you know, I'm not going to sit up there for two hours and be like, everything sucks. Like, well, that's just not a story. To. Like, yeah, and plus that's how I don't know how else to get through li- life. You how know? does anybody <laughs> function? Like I, I'm, I'm just always yeah. thinking about how in TV there's, there's just like all this sad stuff. But like when people are going through sad things, they joke they about laugh. them and make fun and and like keep the, each other happy. Yeah, and, and the whole like oh I'm writing a comedy or I'm writing a drama or whatever. It's like that's not life. Life yeah. is all of it at once yeah. sometimes. And so that's kind of what the play is. Like there's a lot of really hilarious stuff, and then there's stuff that's like. <laughs> so hard to watch yeah but it seems to be people are liking it yeah like, i think a lot of people deal with guilt on many different things and i think that's what people are connecting with, absolutely which is cool so how long have you been doing the play how long did you do it in texas um we just had a regular run it was like four weeks um in dallas and it did really well and we ended up picking up a producer who wanted to do um an equity showcase in new york for three weeks oh. to see kind of what interest we could gauge there mm-hmm. so we did that Cool. Um, in the spring and we did find some interested parties and <laughs> one of those interested parties was Joe Montaigne and yeah. his wife Arlene and Joe whose daughter is 32 and on the spectrum uh-huh. um, was very very keen from the very beginning and so then I met Joe and Arlene and I st- we still thought we were gearing for like New York I don't know um, but I met them in the lobby of a show and Arlene took my hand and she was like don't bring the show to New York bring it to LA and Joey will help you and I was like, you just called Joe Montaigne Joey. And I'm totally doing that. Like, <laughs> so so that's really how we ended up in well, LA. Do they live out here? They do. They live and here in okay. Theater 68 is who's going to produce it. Where is it? It's at Theater 68 in Oh, Noho. that's what you just said. It is. It is. But it's okay. It's on, I just did that for emphasis. <laughs> it's on Lancashire and NoHo. And I am looking for the street number. It's 5112 Lancashire. Yeah, 91601. Say it again, Amanda. Five one one two Lancashire Boulevard, North Hollywood, California nine one six zero one. But I'm assuming people can buy tickets online. They totally can. At, um, <laughs> and what's it called? It's the called self injurious behavior. Oh. There's a double meaning. And where that. do people find that? Sibonstage.com. Uh, um, com. So it's S I B as in boy onstage.com. dot com, and then Great. you can get tickets there. Autism Works Now. Mm-hmm. They are sponsoring the show. 
We are doing um, a charity component of the tickets. And so oh, cool. they are getting a percentage of the tickets as well as the Ed Asner uh, Family Center. So what is Autism Works Now? Do you, can you tell us about that? Yeah. Autism Works Now is really cool. They help um, people on the spectrum who are of an age to start entering the workforce and need to start supporting themselves. Mm. They help them find jobs. And wow. they help prepare them for jobs like job training and um, they, they offer classes and, and then they try to place people wow. in jobs. And um, so Autism Works Now will be working. Um, they'll be our front of house. They'll be handing out programs um, and they're paid hourly for their work. I want everyone to know they're not volunteering. Um, <laughs> and they're, um, they'll be serving. Oh, you mean the, the people that are are giving out your playbills and stuff? Yeah, those, those they're, are per, people they're members are of Autism Works Now. So they're participants in Autism okay. Works Now. They're on the spectrum. Um, and they have a business called Glorious Pies. And mm-hmm. I think they, they bring it to festivals and fairs and things like that. And they're bringing that. And so um, intermission, we're going to have pie. Oh, cool. So they'll serve coffee and pie and stuff during oh, intermission. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And we met some of them the other day. They're really rad. Like, it's just a really cool organization. And my son, being that he's about to turn 20, like, yeah. I've thought a lot about, you know, like, we all the focus that's on children with autism and, and ending autism and all of that, which is, of course, it's important. But... We have an entire generation of people that are grown ups for yeah. a long time. <laughs> so like helping them learn to support themselves or helping them find the right fit for them is so important. Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of questions about autism for you or not, yeah. not about it in general, but your experience. But I guess it, it's a fear of mine because I have a niece with autism mm-hmm. and I know how hard it was on my brother and his wife when they realized that this was that, that this was their reality. Yeah. I worry. Of course, I've, I would love any child that I end up having. It's yeah, just as a single person raising a child, I won't have as much support. Mm-hmm. So tell me, like, what was it when, it when you first noticed something was different? Mm-hmm. Well, this is um, when Elijah. So Elijah was pretty much a typically functioning baby. Mm-hmm. He was progressing as he should. Um, he was making eye contact. He was laughing. He was starting to babble and all, all of that good stuff, or he was babbling a lot. And I just want to preface this with, I am not an Mm anti-vaxxer. I'm not. Mm -hmm. I vaccinate your children for the love of God. (laughs) Um, (laughs) however, what happened with us, and maybe it was a coincidence, but it freaked me the hell out forever. We took him for his MMR, which is the big year, uh, the one year thing. Mm -hmm. And that's the, um, measles, mumps, rubella, and he got very sick. He had a fever, which they tell you will happen. It's like, no big deal, no big deal. Mm-hmm. And within a week, he wasn't looking at us. And oh, he, my, and I was so tired from having a sick baby that I was like, whatever, he's whatever. And my mother-in-law came to town and she hadn't seen him for a couple months. And she immediately was like, what's going on with Elijah? And I was like, oh, he's just, he's been sick or whatever. And she's like, no, there's, some, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. And I was so irritated. I was like, get off my grill. Like, get go away he's fine Mm -hmm. he's fine don't freak me out but then we started paying attention and it was like oh yeah he's what's going on (laughs) um and they won't diagnose them you know that early obviously Mm -hmm. but um we knew like i just started reading and started realizing well these are some signs these are some signs that are typical signs um so by the time he had the official diagnosis we already we knew and And how long was it till they give you an official diagnosis probably um, three Three years old. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and at that a, time, did they offer any early intervention stuff? Yes, they did. Uh-huh. Yeah. There was early childhood interv- intervention. ECI was like this program in Texas where we were entitled to um, a speech therapist, an occupational therapist. They came to the house like twice a week. Mm-hmm. It just isn't enough. for yeah. to, You know, it just isn't enough. So, yeah. but it was enough for us to at least start learning about, you know, what was going on with him. And at this point, it was just different. You know, 20 years ago, there was just way less information and support and even the online community what you know the internet wasn't what it is um so it was scary you know we just didn't know what was going on and looking back um the whole like vaccine he got all the rest of his vaccines looking back i don't know how i feel about the way that went down there are so many stories of kids that around that age something happens Mm -hmm. and so it may just be this like total coincidence and but also notably um the uh oh my god the big what are the health people called the health u.s health people uh, (laughs) world health organization i don't know i don't know the fda oh fda yeah Mm -hmm. they they took off the shelves many of the mmr vaccines the very next month okay and said they were removing um the mercury 
Okay. That, that we no longer would have that. <laughs> okay. And so that's notable too. But it's still like, I'm, it's so confusing for me. Because yeah. I see the anti-vaxxers online and I'm like, that's obviously not the answer. Like we, right. we have vaccines for a damn reason. But um, I just know what I saw. And so it's hard to vaccinate your kids. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it's a weird subject for me. <laughs> yeah. So like you're already, if you're a parent dealing with that, you're already like so guilty. Like what did I do? What did I eat? Where did I go? What did I put in my kid's body? Like it's, <laughs> you're starting off with an autism diagnosis feeling like crap. Is this my fault? Like, right. It's a wonderful way to begin yeah. <laughs> relationship with your child. Yeah. And it doesn't help with your relationship with your marriage, I'm no. sure. I remember a friend who is a therapist telling me that 70% or 75% of parents of children with autism uh, get divorced. Four out of five. Oh, okay. There you the go. Statistic. There you go. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I actually just learned that the other day. I was like, well, I feel less bad about that then. Uh, yeah. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We definitely. Definitely. We just coped in very different ways with the diagnosis. We were a well-matched couple too, you know, Mm -hmm. like we were pretty good together, but we just went to two different places when this happened, you know? Um, Yeah. And And there's what are the directions you can go and just like put everything you can into trying to make that child like make mm -hmm. sure that baby's going to be okay or sort of just hide in a corner and cry. Yes. Well, he he was a musician and he traveled all the time. And so he was gone like 85% of the time from the time Elijah was like, to to when we separated wow so he would be gone and then he'd come back and Mm -hmm. he'd be back for like six days and barely be able to cope with what was in the house and then he'd leave and so i would desperately hope for some help and you know when then he would get there and i would realize oh right like it's not a big help like because he's and he's not as involved and doesn't understand that your son's behavior as much and he would get frustrated more and um, that kind of thing. And he, you know, he was a good guy, a good dad, and he he did deal with him okay. But yeah, it was just a lot. And he, yeah, and I think this happens for a lot of dads. Um, from what I've read, like some books are literally like, um, you know, if your husband doesn't understand or doesn't if or feels um, isolated, then just be patient. I'm like, how many? It's so crazy how it's many books are written to, to directed care. at the mom. Yeah, like yes, it's kind of nuts. Um, yeah, there should be like, an autism for dads. Yeah. Book. But, yeah, the books are like, no, we, we know who you are, who's reading this. Yeah, I don't know why that's a thing, but um, it's it seems like it really hits fathers in this different way. I don't know. I mean, I don't <laughs> want to make any assumptions because, you know, I'm, I don't want to sound like an asshole, but, but men... <laughs> No, I want to hear this. <laughs> I'll probably agree. Well, no, I just think that if if there's anything to, you know, caveman and cave woman, the woman is the caretaker right. and the man doesn't really understand like what it. to do and is often often feels like an outsider even if the child is typical. Yeah. It's weird because it has then it becomes the job of the woman to make sure the man feels okay and is comfortable and, and I don't. that that's what the dynamic became was me trying to be like make sure he was okay and make sure he was okay. Yes. Like I need to not be someone mom like I need to yeah. not be the mom in every situation can you tell me like a little bit about like where he was on the spectrum mm-hmm. he by many standards would be considered high functioning mm-hmm. he you can carry on a conversation with him but you'll know immediately uh-huh. you know he pretty much only wants to talk about cartoons and <laughs> Disney and uh, stuff like that so I mean you know he dresses himself he's you know he's high functioning except there's just a communication breakdown. Like it's just, he only wants to talk about certain things. If you kind of ask him anything else or you'll get this like blank stare. Like, why, why are you interested in that? Why are we not talking about Disney? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and is this now or back then? This is now. Yeah. This is now. What oh specifically goodness. about Disney is he interested in? I don't know. Well, he, he loves villains. First oh. villains are like <laughs> the best. They were the crap for like ever. That was all he cared about. And I grew up in Florida. So from, and so my sister and I, we grew up going to Disney and stuff. So we're like Disney kids and so when he from the time he was little we were taking him to disney world and it's like his favorite place and we'll go back after not being for a year and he can just like lead us to every little his memory is like insane so i don't know disney he just it's just always been his happy place which sounds like a commercial but literally like it's just (laughs) and we've had great experiences there like he's had horrible 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 meltdowns there and disney staff are incredible i just want to like sing the praises of disney staff because i've never been anywhere any other business where i feel like he could have a meltdown and the staff doesn't want us to leave Oh, you know? yeah, that's nice. Like, Amanda was a Disney uh, <clears throat> princess. Were you? Yeah. Oh, my God. 
I loved working there. Oh, yeah. which princess? I was Cinderella <gasps> and Sleeping Beauty and Ariel. <laughs> yeah. That's incredible. And we did have a lot of <clears throat> autistic people coming through, like yeah. all the time, sometimes in groups or, mm-hmm. you know, so they do, they don't specifically train you, but you're just, I think when you work there, you're just so used to dealing with all sorts of people. Mm-hmm. So it's just, yeah, like you're not really... Yeah. judging unless the yeah. kid comes up to you and is covered in chocolate and sticky ice cream and tries to kiss you <laughs> and then gets it all over your dress then security will escort them out no i just kidding <laughs> and she also did it in japan oh my god yeah it was awesome that's elijah's dream he's to go always to, tokyo, to go to tokyo disneyland? disneyland can you go to tokyo disneyland i mean honestly you both would love it it's sure. it's the best it's the best yeah one. of the of the park i think so especially tokyo disney sea which is uh-huh. like their secondary park it's super special oh my god yeah that's like you at some point i hope that you guys all get to go because it's super good yeah he's he's been to disneyland and disney world we've only been to the you know the ones in the united mm-hmm. freaking states so yes. he he has a dream to go to tokyo Tokyo Disneyland, Hong Kong Disneyland, um, Shanghai Disneyland, <laughs> and Paris. Aww. Yeah, he wants to hit them all. He does before he dies. He wants to hit all <laughs> of them. Get and, there. I'm, and I'm like, okay, we're going to focus on the States right now because mommy can't afford an airline ticket to Tokyo. <laughs> but after this play, hey, yeah, because we all know theater is where the money is. Especially in LA. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Oh, my God. Whole other subject. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Um, okay, so with his um, when he has his breakdowns, is there anything that triggers them, or it just happen out of nowhere? You know, for him, sometimes when he was younger, there were definitely triggers, such as I mean, that's a, that's in the play too. Um, any kind of siren was a big deal for him, oh. like a fire truck or whatever. Well, just that's the end. So, of our like day. sensory, um, mm-hmm. what's that called? Like sensory overload, like yeah, 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 yeah. Sensory, yeah, yeah. We have um, headphones, like shooter. Mm-hmm headphones you know noise canceling stuff yeah so yeah but he also um what what started being a real problem was that they he would imagine things Mm. like so he would just imagine scenarios and then have a meltdown based on what was in his head and so it's like panic attacks sort of (laughs) yeah yeah he's like an anxious kid and like now that he's doing better and we're getting we've gotten to know him as a person like literally i felt like i didn't really get to know him Mm -hmm. until he was 12 and like in this therapy and medicated and what and it was like oh there you are um yeah and now it's i i see it i see just the basic things i I have it like i'm like oh you come by that real honestly like i think of scenarios in my head all the time and lay awake at night like why can't i sleep and he it just gets to him and he'll freak out and then the autism is why he has no can't really control it but right yeah it's 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 great to actually find things in in common for years it was like this this little person that I just didn't understand and now I see actually see a lot of myself in him and I see the the autism is just what makes it difficult for him to have those things did you feel judgment from parents around you and like if he would have a breakdown in public and all that stuff how did that affect you yeah um definitely when he was younger um and then as he got older it got different people looked scared Uh uh-huh um and he's a big kid now yeah I mean he's tall he's like over six feet. And, wow. And yeah, so now that's a different thing. But yes, when he was younger, it was the worst, man. Like you go to the grocery store and he's screaming and people are like looking at you like you're a crappy parent, you know, right. and it's like, thanks, guys. Like, yeah. <laughs> well, you just have no idea. <clears throat> yeah. I feel like on. there's a lot more awareness now yeah. um, than there was then. But it's still, it's, people are still shitty. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, you just take it. What do you want someone to do in that scenario? I think I'm asking because I guess I feel like I've been in a scenario where a kid is crying and the mom is just doing her thing or whatever. Mm -hmm. But I want to say, hey, it's okay. I just it's okay that your baby's doing this or like don't feel bad or whatever. But they don't they don't want me to say that to them. Actually, they do. They do. Mm -hmm. I would say they do. I mean, 
any anything to show that you're okay, like yeah. that this is not infringing on your experience yeah. and the and because the guilt again, it's just you're just full yeah. of like God, I'm screwing up everyone's flying experience or whatever exactly. you're doing. You know, the times that have really touched me are when people will come up and just like squeeze my shoulder and be like, "You're doing a great job." Oh. Or people will say, can I do anything? Like, does he need anything? I can go get him a juice. I can go, you know, like that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So like, yeah, anything. Even sometimes when people just make eye contact and just kind of smile like we see you, you know, like I've broken into tears because of because of that. Just that connection is like, okay, okay. Everyone doesn't hate us, you know, and you're also defensive for your child, you know, like don't look at him like that, you know, so it's any kindness goes a long way. And so with your husband on tour a lot, it kind of was like you were a single mom almost. It was a lot. Like on the day to the day to day. Yeah, it yeah. really did feel like that. And then after we divorced, actually, I was in kind of such bad shape at that point because yeah. of where Elijah was at Yeah, that I was the one who moved out and mm-hmm. moved in with a friend. And so my ex quit the band. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, <laughs> they fired him because it was a Christian <laughs> band and he was getting a divorce. <laughs> Are you serious? Yes, drama. <laughs> wow, what, that's the Christian thing to do. <laughs> right, right? I know, yeah. I know. He has his own whole story, man. That um, is crazy. <laughs> do you guys get yeah. along now? Or, or I mean, uh, not that you fine. never... We're fine, yeah. we're fine. Oh, so you were saying that you moved out Yes. And you needed to, yeah, yeah heal so I moved in, and I moved in with better. a friend um, that was very close to home. And so I would still pick Elijah up from school and be over every day. And oh, we were awesome. pretty much co-parenting and stuff until he, you know, met the person he started dating. And then mm-hmm. that was a problem. Mm-hmm. So that's where, how that ended up. But so he got his taste of, of being the one to have to wake up every two hours at night with Elijah and yeah. all that. And actually, after about a month of that, he came to me and apologized for Life. Not understand it. Yeah. For like the last many years where he was kind of judgy of how dirty the house was and kind of judgy. Like he'd come home and be like, and I'd be like, really? Like, <laughs> so, but he, he apologized, but it was like, well, late, you know, Elijah lived mainly with him for like the last year and a half before he was admitted. And they actually moved to Louisiana. Um, and very soon after that was when he was admitted. And so that was a whole other level of guilt where I was like, if he had stayed with me, like, would he be have to be admitted right now? I was very anti admit him to this place. Right. Like I thought just no way that we're there. It was obviously the right thing to do. Like looking back, it was like, it's what needed to happen. But I just was like, yeah, I failed. Like, yeah. why did I let him go to, you know? So anyway, so what did this place look like? What did they do with him while he was there? How long was he there? He's still there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So and so that's in Texas. Mm-hmm. No, no, it's in Alexandria, Louisiana. Oh, okay. Um, so he okay. Yeah. Tell it's me like everything. four and a half. I'll <laughs> stop interrupting. Start talking and then let me jump in and attack you. <laughs> Yay. Um, he's like four and a half hours away from Dallas. Okay. Um, so yeah, if, if Brad and I hadn't divorced and he hadn't moved to Louisiana, um, we probably never would have found this place. So it's one of those things where I'm like, Everything happens for, I don't know how I feel about that, but like, this was a good thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so that's how we found that place. And um, I'm sorry, what's your question? So he lives there full time. Yes, he lives there full time still. Um, he basically, he can live there, they say, until they can stop, until they're not able to meet his needs anymore. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's indefinitely. So it's basically, there's a school and then there are, there are dorms for like the lower functioning children. And then there are group homes for the higher functioning children. And so he lives in a home with like uh, seven other boys and the homes are built specifically for this. So there's, it's huge. It's got his own bedroom. He's got his own little bathroom. They've got these enormous dining rooms. It's lovely. It's a home. And he lives with these boys and has for years. And they're his brothers now, you know, like he calls them his brothers. And do there, are there any old men there? Or I guess it's not, it's not that old yet. It's not. That's the thing. So when we admitted him, they said that he would age out. Um, at like 22. So we were like, okay, there's a deadline. Like we have to figure out what's going to happen at 22. Right. Well, then a couple years ago, they changed the entire program and they decided because there were too many kids leaving who didn't have anywhere to go, mm-hmm. whose parents literally took them to St. Mary's and like never saw them again. Oh my God. Like never. I was told that like 75% of the kids who go there, their parents just like disappear. Wow. <laughs> so wow. yeah, it's awful. Um, so, yeah, so they were like, and these people are good people, and they're like, we're not willing to just like, 
release them to the street. Abandon them. Yeah. yeah. So they they changed the program. So now it's harder to get in. So yeah, there are, now there are people there who are like in their thirties that wow. had been kind of hanging on because they they wouldn't they couldn't find them a place, so they just kept keeping them. And then they were like, okay, we need to change the system. If we're going to do that, then we need to change it. So. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Does this all come out of your pocket? No. Amazingly, this is like the miraculous part of it yes. all. Medicaid in uh-huh. Louisiana covers all of it. Get wow. the fuck out of I here. I mean, yeah, which it wouldn't, that wouldn't happen in Texas. Like it totally depends on what your state's like Medicaid package is or whatever. Oh, God. Um, but yeah, they, all of it, literally all of it. Like it's insane. That's um, really amazing. And that was weird too, right? Because like you bring your child to this place and not only are they there now four and a half hours away, but like you literally don't have to buy them their tennis shoes anymore. You can, but like you don't have to, like they literally provide everything. Like he has a laptop because they have a fund where each kid has like a savings account and yeah. just stuff goes in little by little and they can save up and they can buy. Th- I mean, that the whole program is amazing. Oh my gosh. And so it's wonderful, but also it was like, you go from being mom to being like, absolutely unnecessary yeah (laughs) you know and it was just a real weird but yeah no like i wish there was a better word for the word blessing because yeah (laughs) it is i mean it's it's a miracle to me yeah there yeah so after you dropped him off that must have been so hard it was awful i was uh, so after and that's what the play the play takes place mainly right at the day after she admits him Uh because in real life i had to go um stay with my sister for three weeks in Portland because I wasn't allowed to see him for three weeks and I thought I was going to go insane. (laughs) So my sister was like, come with me. We're going to go to Portland. That's where she lived at the time. Um, And I just tried very hard not to think about it. And that's that's where the play finds the character. Wow. Yeah. At a Renaissance fair. Oh my God. Because that was another thing. When I got back after that trip, um, I was in a real weird place and I was like throwing myself into weird things. And I was like, I'm going to go on match.com. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to date everyone. And because um, <laughs> I got married at like 19 and yeah. got, you know. So anyway, I went on match.com and I met this guy that was a big Ren Fair guy. And I had dated my last. Uh, Is this had- in Portland? No, okay. this was after I got back, but it kind of got smushed together in the play as being in Portland. <laughs> yes, yes. But um, we didn't like hit it off romantically or whatever. But we we started hanging out, and I was real. I was looking for someone to go to Ren Fairs with because the last person I dated. I, anyway, I'm a dork. Um, so he was like, "I have this whole gang of people. We go together. We camp together. Like, come with us." So I did, um, which is something I never would have done before. Like, I just was like, "Yeah." Well, you I'll couldn't do whatever, have. like yeah. <laughs> um, and I went and was an idiot, and you know, drank entire bottles of Evan Williams and <laughs> like from the bottle. Uh, <laughs> it was just insane. But these people really like took me. I think they saw this little hurting person and just really were loving and wonderful to me, and like you know. And so the play takes place at a Renaissance fair and <laughs> with some Rennies. And so she's constantly trying to engage and like be there and be present. And these memories from her past keep literally invading her space. And yeah. so then you'll see scenes that led her to that point. Ooh. Yeah. Does this freak you out? Like I was thinking about this. Yeah. On the I mean, here. it was a, it was, it really it held me back from making this decision to begin with. It's one of the things that I was worried about. Uh, is there a genetic component? Yeah. Like, why does it happen? If it happens to me, will I be able to, will it be okay? Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, you just have to say, fuck it, right? Yeah. I yeah. think. Yeah. I don't know if that's the right name. But like, I did have a genetic counselor tell me that she didn't think that the, that my niece's um, autism was a genetic thing. Um, she had the cord wrapped around her neck in the womb for mm. quite a while. So they think that she also had brain damage. Okay. But she also had like swollen adenoids and I don't remember what else, but when she was, when she was very like a newborn, she, oh, her tongue was sick out of her mouth a lot. So she looked like something was going on. Yeah. But we just crossed our fingers and my best friend's a pediatrician and she came and she's like, no, she's fine. Don't worry. She's yeah. fine. But you, you don't have any idea at that age. And then you have to like wait and, and just wait and see. But there's yeah. that that exists with everything. Right. I have another friend whose baby died of SIDS at six months. <sighs> and that baby was healthy as an right. ox the, the night before I was there. Oh like, my God. And she was at my house. So, yeah, I don't know. I yeah. just, 
I can't control everything, right? No matter how hard I try. So I just gave up at some point and said, "Well, if if that happens, then I'll just I'll figure it out." Yeah, Sweetie. and that'll be the happiest little uh, autistic kid on the planet. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> It's true. Yeah. And, and autism looks different on every single person. I mean, that's yeah. that's the actual truth. I mean, the whole thing of if you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. I've heard that a million times. That's it's interesting. True. Yeah, it's yeah. very true. Does your son know about the play? No, <laughs> no. In fact, he doesn't. He's never seen me on stage. Uh-huh. He's never. Um, it feels like it would be confusing for him. Yeah. Um, just where he is. So no, yeah. he doesn't. And I'm good with that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And if he did know about it, I mean, who know, would he understand? You know, I mean, I think I think many people on this spectrum would. Yeah. You know, I've um, I've met definitely people with autism who are very aware that they have autism and very aware of, um, you know, what they have to deal with and their behaviors and how to control them. And they can talk about that. Elijah just, um, he isn't at the functioning level where he can like talk about that. And so people on the spectrum, I mean, there will be people on the spectrum watching the show tonight and I'm nervous. Yeah. (laughs) I am very, I mean, this won't be the first time there've been a few, uh, there were a few in New York. Um, yeah, it made me, did they have feedback for you? They after? did, and I. It's the best. It was the best um, because it was good. Because it was good feedback, and they were. They thanked me for the way he was presented, and um, and for what was it like? They felt like he was respected as a character, um, and that meant so much to me because it is a lot of talking about him and what we do about that, you know? And so it's like, that was a fine line to walk for me. I didn't want him to be an issue, you know, like an issue and not a person. This is just, you just said like um, a lot of talking about him. That's something that I've noticed that like the person with autism is there in the room and everybody's talking about them the whole time. Mm -hmm. Like they don't understand or hear. Right. It's a mistake. It is. Well, I think for some I think yeah. well, depending I on the functioning level, right. you know, um, so when he was little, we did that a lot Yeah. and I now wish we hadn't, mm-hmm. I actually don't know how much of it he internalized, but I think, I think some, I think, you know, now that I know him better now, I'm like, I'm sure he did internalize some of that, you know, and none of it was like negative, but like who needs to be, who needs to hear themselves being talked about like in third person, <laughs> you know, like that's just, yeah, I think it happens a lot. And I think. I think people should be careful. Yeah, because then the child will see themselves in that way. Yeah. And and may not be able to express either how that or even that they know that or how it makes them feel. It's just in there then. And it's like after that, Jessica asked me where I was in my process and I filled them both in that I had just come from the doctor, that I'd had the negative P test, that later on that day I would be getting the phone call about the blood work, that it probably wasn't likely, but there's still like a slim chance that I could be pregnant. And then I told them about my dilemma with the timing of IVF and the BabyQuest grant. And uh, and I told them what Hannah said in the car that morning. And um, and she just looks at me and she goes, don't wait, Molly. Get your baby. And I was like, oh, fuck. Oh, I agree. Because you have your parents helping you with the first round. So the options are either it doesn't work and then you'll still need the grant. But I don't. I, but then I would miss the window for the grant because I won't know if I'm pregnant or not. I don't know. I, I just, just do it. I think just do it. I feel Same. like that too. You I have think. the resources right now. You're getting help. Just yep. do it. It will. The grant. Who knows what's going to happen with that? And also, like, you can always communicate with them. And yeah, yeah. I, I think just do it. Yeah. Same. Yeah, yeah. I'm over it. Yeah. Just Plus, do this it. podcast is getting really boring. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we should have started with that. No, I don't mean this episode. Oh, okay. I meant the series is getting boring. <laughs> oh, right. oh my no, god, I would never. Can you imagine, Amanda? This, this episode is so boring. boring. <laughs> no, that this was actually a great this conversation. Is, oh my god, okay. I thought yes. it was really great. Yeah, I'm sorry, I wasn't trying to. Oh. <laughs> um, no, I get you. Yeah, I say just go to IVF. You're, you can't wait on other people and other things that are question marks. Yeah, that's true. I agree. Okay. I mean, I like your input. I like your input. This life is short. I'm just... Yeah. But then yesterday, in my podcast this week, I was like, well, what's, what's, what's a month or two? I'm like, I'm not in a rush. But like... <laughs> but you literally are. You are. really kind of are, though. <laughs> you are like, in a rush. <laughs> in a rush. Yeah. 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 
Thank you so much, Jessica Cavanaugh with a C. I know you. <laughs> Thank you, Molly. With Is that an right? M. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's so good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I can't wait to see your play. Thank you. Where can I see it again? Theater 68 in the- North Hollywood. S I B on stage.com. S I B on stage. Self injurious behavior on stage. Mm-hmm. S I B on stage.com. Yes. When exactly is the play? Okay, so we start previews tonight, the 30th of August, and mm-hmm. then we open officially next Friday, September 6th, and okay. we run through the 28th. All, all Every weekend in September, cool. Friday, Saturday, 8 o'clock, Sunday, 2 p.m. Friday, Saturday, 8 o'clock, Sunday, 2 p.m. Theater from September 6th through the 28th. The 28th. Uh-huh. Theater 68. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Self-injurious behavior. A portion of the money goes mm-hmm. to Autism, Autism Works Now, and there will be pie. There will be pie. Oh, I can't wait. <laughs> I'm definitely coming. Yay! Oh, my God. Please stick around and say hi. After. Of okay. course I will. I, 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 I definitely will. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for sharing that story with us. Yeah, thank you. Amanda, thank you. Thanks, ladies. Thanks, Amanda. <laughs> of course, I didn't have my answer about IVF yet. I needed input from one more person. My friend, friend of the podcast, Shelby Gale. You remember Shelby, the surrogate? Well, now she's 18 weeks pregnant. I gave her a call. I filled her in on where I'm at, where my head's at, what's going on. And I made her give me her two cents. I mean, I'm just trying to figure out if I should wait and see if I can get the grant. From my outside perspective, with you having had the person who started the grant on your podcast, I wonder if that would be like a conflict for them. Exactly, yeah. I don't yeah. know if it's a conflict of interest or if it or if it helps me. Okay. I think if I were to have a strategy on this, um, and I agree with your friend from a couple weeks ago about your parents wanting to help you. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, now that I'm a parent. Mm-hmm. You're a parent. No, it just, it's like all I can think about is how I just want this baby to have the best life. Yeah. And just give it everything, you know, not like material things necessarily, but like just to see it thrive and be happy. And mm-hmm. like children and people are the gift that keep giving. And so it's like your parents, like your your parents love you so much and they yeah. want you to be so happy. And it's like there is nothing better that they could ever invest in than your happiness because your happiness is their happiness. They're giving you the money to make them happier, too, mm-hmm. you know? But I totally get feeling, like, guilty about that. But what I would suggest doing is go for the IVF. They're going to be giving grants twice a year, right? Mm-hmm. Go for the IVF and see how that works out, you know, because it's, like, nothing's guaranteed. Although, like, I, mm-hmm. I feel like I'm not the norm as far as like my IVF results, you know, like, I don't know if it's the Texas water or what's going on down here, (laughs) but it's like, I'm not someone who is thinking that IVF isn't going to work for you the first time. Like, but the thing is, is I do think that if your parents give you the money and you do this IVF this first time and it works, you're not going to think about that money again and neither of your parents for the rest of your lives. If it doesn't work, you have baby quest as a follow-up. You have it as a fail safe. And I think that that's really important from the strategic side. It's like, and also having like an IVF behind you and having invested into this, you know, all that you've invested with the IUI and the time. And, and then it's like, you have some time from the podcast interview. It's like, I feel like that kind of sets you up more for success because it's like you've invested more and they would take that into account. And then you might be more likely to get the grant. Right, 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 right. I'm leaning towards IVF. Yeah. I just don't know if it's frivolous and not taking this, the fact, the money seriously. I mean, I know, I think I've, I think I've accepted the, the guilt thing. I know my parents want to give this to me, do this for me. But then I just wonder if, like, going forward with IVF right now is irresponsible if there's a chance that I could have it all paid for in, in two months. You know, there's always going to be a grant out there. Mm-hmm, and that's it's like, true, too. You can keep putting it off and putting it off. But at a certain point, just 
what is is what is and you have to just pull the trigger you know yeah. and it's like every minute that you're waiting is a minute that you're like waiting for the thing that you want the most in life you know yeah like you're just putting that off and that's one less month you get to spend with your child yeah <laughs> that's true and i also look at you and i'm like she started after me and i'm like if i had just gone straight to ivf like i could be where you are right now well you trust your body though <laughs> I know. And I don't understand yeah. why you don't trust your body because you had, you were pregnant twice. Yeah. It's like I do in a way. It's like I do trust my body to carry you, other people's. I don't trust yeah. my eggs or something. I don't know. It's so yeah. bizarre. It's, I don't know. And like, I feel like I could fill up a whole therapy session on just that topic. <laughs> I was just discussing that with someone else a couple days ago mm. about why I skipped over IUI because it's like, I'm not made of money. Like I don't have the money. I'm in debt now. You know, it yeah. sucks, but it's like, I've been in debt a lot during my life and it didn't come close to the amount of suck it felt to not be in control and to not have the baby that I had been waiting for, for my whole life, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I would have definitely started with IUI and that was the plan or even like, at home insemination kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was honestly when I got into the, uh, the single mother's triers Facebook group that I was like, Oh God, no, like I don't, cause I'm not, I'm also want to go through all of that. I'm super impulsive and it's yeah. like what I want, I want now and like judge me and it's right or it's wrong. But it's like, I just know that about myself and my heart breaks a little bit just watching how long you've been in this journey and how long one of my friends here has been in this journey. And like, just trying to like put myself in that position and feeling that level of like disappointment for so many months and that compound. And it's like, at a certain extent, you're not really living your life to the fullest, right. you know, because yeah. it's like your life is just in waiting. Yeah. I'm in a holding until pattern. You get these results, you know, that you're looking for. And I think the uncertainty too is like, it's like, I want so bad for all my friends to have this. Cause I feel like you're all so deserving and like, you know, whether anyone's deserving because I'm like, and I don't feel deserving, you know, you it's are. Just, I, I just don't trust anything. So I'm like, I'm going to get it. Yeah. I'm make it happen. I'm going to yeah. squeeze it from the universe. Yes, but, yeah. But I really like, admire your patience and like your strength and your willingness to like really I mean you're really testing yourself to the limit and you're gonna know that like IVF was the right path for you yeah the money aspect is huge I mean it really is such a huge part of the equation that I think a lot of people just kind of skim over, but it's like, we're talking about, I mean, even like in a traditional couple situation, this is like a life changing amount of money, mm -hmm. you know? And like some of these couples are doing it two or three or four times. And, yeah. you know, and then beyond that, it, it doesn't stop, but it's like, that is definitely something to consider. But being on this end of it, it's like, so worth it. It's like no matter what you went through when like when you're in it and you're feeling the pregnancy and you start feeling positive and thinking that you're going to move forward in it, all of a sudden everything you went through doesn't feel like enough. You don't feel like you did enough. Like the soul crushing time that you've spent and you've invested literally everything emotionally and physically and financially and you're like, man, I just don't feel like I did enough to be where I am. You know? <laughs> and so I think like, I don't know. It's, it's hard to try to tell someone like the direction that their life should go, but it's like, I just, I want to see you pregnant so bad. I know like everyone who listens to your podcast, everyone who knows you wants you to be pregnant so bad. And it's like, what's the fastest way to get Molly pregnant? And like, that is doing IVF yesterday, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, also, I think what's kind of cool about IVF, which is a part that's like a blessing and a curse is that you get to look at like the microscopic details of what's happening in you. Yeah. And like, you get to know what kind of what you need to tweak, you know? And it's like with IUI, you're kind of just putting the sperm in and being like, good luck fellas, you know, and like, hope you catch a good egg, but you don't know anything about 
your eggs or like how many eggs were, I mean, they, they do the follicle measurements, but those are, you know, it's like, they'll tell you your follicles are one thing. And when they retrieve them, they're something completely different. Right. And you're like, Oh, okay. So yeah, I think it's just like, it's kind of neat to take that out of the body and like you get this whole other appreciation and understanding for the process. Yeah. And from like a researcher, like journalist perspective and someone who has a podcast, I think it's like invaluable for your listeners <laughs> for you to have to go through IVF. So we appreciate your sacrifice. <laughs> and it makes for a better podcast. Well, yeah, I mean, no one could have <laughs> predicted all of these switch turns. And, like, no, it would have been a whole different podcast if you would have gotten pregnant on IUI number one, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's, like, I mean, if there is a silver lining, it's that you're able to, like, teach people. That it's about not fucking easy. Yes, and it's not easy. And I think a lot of people overlook that. <sighs> like, they think once the fertility clinic is involved that it's, like, a done deal. And I thought that, and I was so wrong. Yeah. I mean, I just, everybody just wants to see you pregnant at the end of the day. And I yeah. think all of our votes are for you just going into IVF. But <laughs> really, mostly everyone just wants you to be happy. All right. Shelby, thanks for chatting. I hope you get clarity and that you're, like, super stoked about whatever decision you make. You can't make a wrong one at this point. It's just a month. Yeah. And it's all up to fate anyway, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I know what I'm going to do. Okay. You know, yeah, I think, I think, I think. Shelby and I actually talked for almost 50 minutes, and that is actually going to be up on the Patreon as a special bonus episode. We talk all about her IVF experience after her miscarriage and about how she's coping with the stress of hitting all those stressful pregnancy milestones. Let's just say she has a little ultrasound addiction. On top of that, Shelby gives me some valuable advice on whether or not I should pick a different donor at the sperm bank given my donor's low sperm count last month. Uh, still bitter about that. Check it out on patreon.com forward slash spermcast for just a buck or two a month. Exclusive content, baby. All you could ever want. And don't forget, your patronage will not only help keep this podcast alive and thriving, it'll help with the cost of IVF. Should I need it? And I do. Because later on that afternoon, I did get my call from Nurse Julie over at the clinic, and she confirmed I am not pregnant. Surprise! But here's the good news. I'm okay, and I think that's because I took the pressure off myself during that two-week wait, and I did my best to ignore it. I learned that obsessing over it doesn't help make a pregnancy come true. I also learned that ignoring it also doesn't make a pregnancy come true. And since I've tried everything in between, I can confidently say that there's nothing that I can do in my brain that will help give me control over the outcome of my pregnancy tests. So, what's next for me? You guessed it. IVF. Thanks to all the lovely ladies I talked to in this episode, plus my mom. I feel very confident that I can start IVF this week. Now I just have to wait for my darn period to come, and she is taking her sweet, sweet time. There is one thing that could change my decision to start IVF, and that would be if I went to see Dr. Kalin and he told me he thought I had a very good chance of getting that grant and that waiting another month or two would make no difference to my fertility. But even then, I don't know. I don't want to wait, but I'll consider it, if that's what he says, which I don't think he will. Now go to the website for self-injurious behavior and buy those tickets, sibonstage.com. Thank you, Jessica Kavanaugh, for taking time away from rehearsals to come have that interview with me and Amanda. Amanda, thank you for being so supportive and wonderful. Hannah and Shelby, thank you, too, for being supportive and giving me such great advice. I love all you ladies so much. Go to patreon.com forward slash spermcast if you want to become a Patreon subscriber. This week you can find that bonus episode with Shelby Gale up there. You'll also be able to see my ultrasound with Dr. Kalen this week and, and see what the plan's going to be. Hopefully I'll be shoving some needles into my gut very, very soon. Oh, and a lot of you have been wondering about what happened to that guy I went for a walk with around the lake. You know, the... Uh, aerospace engineer who wanted to have my babies well i'll tell the whole story on my patreon yeah that's right this week i'll put up a whole thing about it i'll tell you everything 
Want to reach me? Email me at spermcast at gmail.com. Call or text at 323-741-1818. Find me on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at spermcast. Go to my website, spermcastpod.com. And what else? Have a great day. I love you. Goodbye. He could be balding, bearded, shorter, tall, funny, smart, love basketball, from gay, straight, black, white, tiny ass with an underbite. I just need sperm. Sperm cast. An Erios production. Powered by ACAST. 